show? Is this uh, is this the uh, venerable uh, Donald uh, W. Schaffner? Hey, you got my middle initial right. I did. I know. Sometimes, sometimes I like to joke. Sometimes I like to to not joke. Well, you know, I I might I might be venerable Ben, but I made a mistake, oh. and I feel really I really bad about this. Oh no! All right, is it? Can you can we talk about it here on the on the air? Is this? Uh, yeah. Is this, yes. Do we yes. need some bed bed music? It's, some back backing bedding tracks? Uh, like, is this a very special food safety talk? Is this? <laughs> we, okay, I, mean, I I should stop making jokes about it because it might be it might be something really uh, really not good. No, it's uh, we 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 and by we I mean I I misled our listeners, Ben. Oh, you did. Well, yeah, I I so we were talking about life hacker. Fake, fake news. And well, no, well, I I don't know, Ben. So I I said I said some things about life hacker that were not true, and I want I want to correct the record. Okay, okay, Cor- uh, correct away. Well, I said, and this has apparently been often repeated on the internet, and it's just not true, Ben. Um, even if Merlin Mann says it, it's not. It's not true. Um, uh, I, I was we, I, we meaning I was berating Lifehacker for saying that they published an article saying that soap cleans dishes, uh-huh. and that's not true. They, it's, it's the soap not, doesn't clean dishes. No, <laughs> no, Ben. What they said, and this is very important. I want I want the record to be correct on this. Okay, um, what they said was, and this is a life hack, Ben. Yeah. Okay. And and it's a life hack that that was originally published by the web blog uh, Parent Hacks. And here's what you can do: if you have pots and pans that have. have a lot. A lot of food stuck on them, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay? Um, sometimes you soak them overnight. But sometimes even if you soak them overnight with dish soap, they don't – that doesn't work, okay? I don't know. I don't know. What so, I just do you, Is the life hack just throw them out? No, no. Here's the hack, Ben. Now, now listen carefully because I think a lot of people have misunderstood this, okay? The, the hack – is that you use one teaspoon of dishwasher detergent hmm. that you would normally use in your dishwasher in combination with hot water. You let the pan sit overnight, and the food should rinse clean without any scrubbing. And this has been tested, Ben. They tested this on Lifehacker. Um, they tested it on one crusty leftover cheese uh, uh, from a baked macaroni dish. One, it didn't. It didn't even require a once over with a sponge. Ben, just a simple rinse, and it came clean. Because you can apparently use dishwasher detergent that you would normally use in your dishwasher to clean your dishes. So I apologize for suggesting that Lifehacker published an article about dish soap cleaning deter- cleaning dishes. You know, we are famous on this podcast for saying it's complicated and it depends. And this was a complicated one, Ben, and I messed up. Well, Don, I, I think I, feel, I can't tell you how much better I feel. I think you. That on this has been weighing on me for a week now, at least. This, uh, 
I can I can feel I can feel this that that this is you've been struggling with this, um, and and I appreciate your your honesty your um, uh, yeah your candor uh, and and really I think that this this uh, discussion is re- really captures your gravitas. <laughs> I think it, it really does. Um, did you I, I are you now I, I do like I do like the life hacker. Um, cause you know, well, they, we, we like life hacker cause they talk to us and they, they uh, you know, we, we give good quote and they quote us. Yeah. And they, so, and yeah. they, they ask good questions. They, but they do have some things like, um, 11 things that can get you kicked off a plane and how to handle it. Well, I, you know, I, if I, um, I, I would want to know about, about how to not be kicked off a plane. I have to go on a plane later this week, man. And I don't want to be kicked off that plane. I want to be on the plane. And go to where I'm going. Well, don't um, don't wear leggings. Is that uh, one of them? Don't don't wear leggings. No, you can't even get on the plane. No, uh, if you uh, little little known fact, um, if you don't follow the crew instructions, they might kick you off the plane. Huh? If you that? if you are being disruptive, they might kick you off. If you're too drunk, they might kick you off. Uh, this is my favorite How? one. You didn't. You probably didn't know this one. <laughs> Uh, not wearing shoes. I, you know, I take my shoes off sometimes when I'm on the plane. Uh, okay. Cause my feet get hot and sweaty. Me too. First reason is cause your feet probably stink, Don. They don't want you taking your shoes off. My, you know, I, my feet have done a lot better since I switched to wearing leather shoes most of the time. Um, uh, I, that, that problem about my feet stinking, that's, uh, that's just fake news, Ben. Brogues? Is this a, is it a, is a nice, uh, nice, uh, brown brogue that you're wearing? You know, those it's could, a contract listeria all over the place. Brogues. <laughs> all the great episodes. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a clip show today. It's a clip show. Uh, yeah, you can't. So really, you could get kicked off. Lifehacker says you could get kicked off a shoe or a, a, a plane for not wearing shoes because your feet might stink and uh, safety. There's an emergency. They want everybody to get off quick. Not oh my gosh, where are my shoes? Well, here's the thing, Ben. I I do not take my shoes off until we are above ten thousand feet, and I put my shoes on. Um, uh, if, if I think we're going to crash or, <laughs> or if we're below, if we're descending, uh, uh, and I put them on, uh, when we get below 10,000 feet, because I want to be ready to go, Ben. I, I, uh, I have, a, I have a, a literal small bag packed. I'm, I'm with you. I am, I'm out. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, okay. It sounds like you're managing that shoe stuff. Uh, well, um, so well, anyway. in fact, you know, in fact, my, my shoes, they're my feet are kind of feeling a little sweaty now. So. I, I hope you don't have any rules about this. I'm going to actually take my shoes off right now. Um, so I'll try to be, do it quietly, but it, just let me know if, it, if it's disruptive and I'll put them back on. No, it's, it's okay. You know, um, here's a little known fact, uh, a life hack for uh, running a, a, a podcast and recording a good podcast. I almost never wear shoes when I'm talking to you. Wow. I'm, I'm not wearing <laughs> shoes now. Um, wow. Well, so, just give me a minute. Yeah. There you go. Life hack. Life hack for life hackers. Um. So, uh, anyway, anyway, we, uh, I'm glad that but, you've reckon you, you've come to a reckoning with your, with your life hacker, um, uh, mis, mis, misquoting, misunderstanding of dish soap and, uh, life hack, uh, soap gets, uh, dishes clean. Let me, let me correct. Let me fix that for you. It is uh, life hack, uh, soaking with dish soap, a dishwasher detergent. Uh, gets uh, 
uh, dishes clean. Yes. One, well, at least one of them. A baked on macaroni uh, and cheese. Right. So there you go. Okay, got it. I'm glad you're not using that tone anymore, Don. Ooh, I feel so I feel so much better, man. It's like a giant weight has been lifted. Good, good. Um and speaking of uh, of weights being lifted. <laughs> <laughs> you pumping iron? What a what a segue. I am, but that's not what I'm gonna talk about. Uh I I'm moving. Do you you might you may not know this. Back to Canada? <laughs> not back to Canada. No, not even out of Raleigh. But we uh <laughs> uh in in a flurry of excitement last week, we uh Found a house to move to, uh, put an offer on it that was accepted, put our house on the market, received an offer, accepted it, and uh, and that was all within a uh, 48-hour period. Uh, yeah, I, so I, I did see uh, the post uh, from your lovely wife with your lovely house, uh, which has a room that apparently uh, one of your sons discovered was actually a dining room. Yes. Uh, he didn't realize it was a dining room until, until until you made it beautiful and 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 posted it on the internet. Um, yeah, so I've been following the story. It's it's exciting news. It is it is exciting news, and it, it is um, we have been uh, looking uh, for the last uh, five or six months for a uh, space. To move to that will allow uh, um, my lovely wife, uh, the lovely Danielle, to um, um, uh, grow her business, uh, and uh, she needs some more space. So uh, yeah, so we found a place and, and jumped on it, and the the market is hot, Don. This is this is real estate safety talk, and I let me tell you, um, it's it'll burn you. That's how hot it uh-huh. is. Wow. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, we we listed our house on Thursday morning at uh, about ten o'clock. Um, our house was sold uh, by Friday evening uh, with uh, with multiple offers, and it was it was crazy. It was crazy. So nice. yeah. So anyway, we're mov- we're moving, and I have uh, I'll have a new podcast. The reason why the- this is in context for Food Safety Talk is I'm gonna have a new podcast recording space. Oh my gosh! You you got a, a new studio. I got a studio. Oh. Yeah. I'm Whoa. Gonna, yeah, I've got it's uh, um, it's it's a little larger. Uh, it's, it's going to look out on a backyard that where, where my dog will probably be, uh, laying in the sun. Um, it'll, uh, yeah. So, so we'll be, uh, coming to you, uh, in a few episodes, I'll be, uh, recording, uh, this in a new podcast uh, space. Wow. Um, well, well, I, I want to report, um, since we're talking about dogs and looking in yards, um, my my dogs are in the backyard right now, I believe, um, but I cannot see them from my current uh, podcast space um, because, number one, there's a wall in the way, and number two, there's a garage in the way. So uh, if I was in one of the, uh, the other uh, bedrooms, I could see part of the backyard, but – but yeah, I think I need to move, Ben. I think you should move. You know, I have well, I had a, a house that you could have bought, and you could have could have come to North Carolina. I there's and in fact, uh, I, what what's not in the don't even joke, Ben. Don't even joke. <laughs> it was not in the listing, but I you know just because I, I I think it's a very small market for this, but I should have ri- written something like perfect for the at home podcaster. <laughs> um, uh, so so yeah, so we're 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 doing that. That's that's taking up most of most of my time. But it, it's funny. You you have um, purchased homes and sold homes. You know this is I like, have. It's like an adult thing to do, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it happens. And um, we have as well. Most in in our uh, previous history in doing this, it was there was more there was more pain. There was more like mm-hmm. uncertainty and, and weighing. This all happened so fast, mm-hmm. where it was like a week, and now and now we just move. Like we pack and go. Uh, in in June, June second. Um, and so it was, it, it was, 
very it was so pain painless but but it was still exciting that i said to to, to danny i was like we should do this again like let's just buy <laughs> we should do this again in about a year yeah let's just buy and sell another house this is it was fun it was great uh-huh. uh, but we're not we're not gonna do that yeah, I think uh, I think if, that you might have a problem then. Uh, yeah. We're flippers. Yeah, you're flippers. We're flippers now. We're like, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I was definitely there, there. Was some adrenaline. There was there was a point where it was a little touch and go with one of the um, with with an offer that we the, on the house that we ended up uh, you know eventually getting, where where it was like, what do we do? You know, they they uh, we, there was multiple offers on that. We had to come back with our best. Um, and I was, I was like ready to go to Vegas. I was, I, I was a junkie for, for about 20 minutes. And then I, then I had to go to bed. I was tired. Yeah. <laughs> but when, when we, when we bought the house that we have now, um, it was, uh, uh, there was, um, uh, they were asking a certain amount and then I think, I guess that they were selling as is, and there was another offer and we ended up offering the list price cause we really wanted it. I yeah. mean, and it was, it was a, you know, it was a fixer upper and we did end up, you know, after the home inspection, we did end up negotiating about ten thousand dollars down because they're from the from the list price, which is what we had offered, just because there were things that you know needed to be to fixed because it had been a rental property and it was kind of it was kind of run down. Um, but we we put a lot of work into it. But we're we're ready to move too. Honestly, it's just not <clears throat> it's not right for us right now. So, but uh, but not we're we're not going to do anything crazy like uh, like like what you guys did. That's that's just uh, that's just nuts. wild. It was wild. Yeah. It was wild. Um, so. Yeah. So anyway, that was that. That was all my my excitement. We've been. Um, I, I was ready to like get the kids out of the house for like five days straight and have all these showings and and it just it went went quick, which is which is great. Um, and I think that's what you want. I mean, as long as you get the the what you're asking and you can you can do the deal and move into the place the, the new place that you want. And yeah, that's you just you want it over quickly. I think. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so yeah. So that so that was that's going on. Uh, hey, start uh, start hockey playoffs tonight. Uh, Gung, uh, not Gunga Lagunga. Uh, Sixty five roses. My other hockey team. Um, so uh, I've, they, wait, now you have two hockey teams? Oh, I got two. I got two hockey teams, Don. Uh, Whoa. I, I know you, we've talked about Gunga Lagunga. Gun, of course, Gunga Lagunga. This yeah, sixty five roses. Uh... I'm yeah. I'm surprised I, we haven't talked. So so I have. Um, I play on Monday nights and I play on Wednesday nights. Two different uh, two different leagues. Um, I, uh, um, uh, the 65 roses, which I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but it is, uh, the, a colloquial term or a term that's associated with the, um, uh, genetic, uh, uh, genetic cause disease, cystic fibrosis. Um, which well, yeah, I, I was not familiar with 65 roses until about five seconds after you said it. And yeah. then thanks to the internet, I knew exactly what you were going to say. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> so, um, one of, uh, uh, one of my, uh, close friends, uh, who started our team, uh, one of his sons, who's, who's about the same age as, as my older son, um, has uh, cystic fibrosis. And, um, we, we, we used to be, I, I used to play for, uh, same team, same group of guys, same franchise. We'll say uh, we used to be called uh, Chick Fil A because my friend owns a uh, Chick Fil A uh, restaurant in in Wake Forest, uh, North Carolina, and uh, we um, we decided a few years ago we would get some new jerseys and and as a, a tribute and a sort of a a way to um, um, get 
some the you know sort of word out uh, locally about cystic fibrosis. We changed our name to Sixty Five Roses, and um, with instead of names on the back of our jerseys, we just have Cure CF. Um, and so, so anyway, that's the the history of our our team name. But we we are entering the playoffs tonight. Well, congratulations! Thank you, thank you. Uh, we will. That's exciting. It is. I unfortunately won't be there. My team doesn't know that. <laughs> oh, I know it sucks. I got to go to Philadelphia to go visit our our friends uh, John Lachansky and uh, Anna Portafet and some other food safety people for uh, a project meeting. And it, oh, well, it starts at eight o'clock tomorrow morning, and I can't get to Philadelphia on a direct flight early enough tomorrow. Which is which is your usual mo, as anybody who's a longtime listener of the podcast uh, knows. It is. Yeah. Play hockey till midnight. Uh, go to the airport at four, and uh, and sleep during the meeting. Sleep during the meeting. Yeah. <laughs> and be there. Just show up. Uh. Anyway, so I'll miss miss my game tonight. But we should. Um. This is the first round. This is uh a play in game to get into the top eight teams in the league, and we uh we are currently uh, so teams. Uh, seven, eight, nine, and ten are playing off to see if we make it into the to the quarterfinals next week. So my oh, wow. I, my team, I, we're they're in good hands without me. I think okay. I'll be. I'll, our, our, we will um, we will live on next week, and I will play uh, another playoff game uh, next next Monday night and next Wednesday night because my other league's in playoffs. Whoa! I know it's, it's playoff time. Hockey all over the place. Hockey, hockey, hockey. Um, uh, so yeah, I've got that going on. Um, what, I had one other thing I was going to tell you that was not, oh, 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 uh, something that I'm watching. Cause we like to talk oh. about that. Oh, I, I got something too. Uh, okay. So I've talked about this show before, um, girls on HBO. Um, it is going, it's in it have almost finished its final season. The last uh, three episodes have been phenomenal, so phenomenal that I'm watching them almost in real time. So uh, last night's episode aired, and then we watched it on on HBO Go like right afterwards. And um, I don't know if you've watched that. It's it's exactly what nope. I uh, it, I think that it's like what I assume um, being twenty something in New York City is like. Which <laughs> some days I feel like that's where that's maybe what I'm going to do someday. Uh, so check okay it. it's a good show um well yeah so so thanks to the beauty of the internet and google um i can type uh gillers on hbo and oh. instead it says uh, i'm showing you the results for girls on hbo because it knows uh it knows what i want so so thank you google uh we will we will link to the official um uh hbo uh uh web for girls well cool. check it out it's a good show uh second one uh is uh, another one-word title. It's on Netflix. Love, S- season two of Love. It's a Judd Apatow. Actually, both of these shows are produced by Judd Apatow. Apatow. I don't know how to pronounce it, but um, he's the the guy who has brought multiple um, romantic comedy, uh, funny show or funny movies to the, to the world. Uh, anyway, um, check. I don't know. Have you watched Love? You guys might like Love. It's no, cool. so I, I so I search uh, I search for HBO Love and it comes back with a show called Big Love. But no, that's no. not the same thing. Netflix Love, Netflix. Netflix. Oh, you said I, did, I thought you said HBO. Okay. Yeah. Check check out the Netflix Love. It's it's hilarious. Okay. Um. Yeah. So we've been watching. We've been binging on those. What do you got? What do you got going on in well? In, so in the I life? I uh, uh um. Thank you, Netflix. Um, and Netflix wants to is asking me who's watching, and oh. it's like no one's watching. I just want to. 
Ugh, I just want to link to your show so we can promote it, Netflix. Um, yeah, so I have been so I have been sucked in. So it all starts with podcasts, of course. Of course. So uh, there's a podcast that I listen to uh, called Reconcilable Differences, which is which is um, uh, about almost a John Lachansky, John Syracuse, and Merlin Mann. That would be a surprise oh, if Lachansky showed up for an episode. Um, John, uh, John, John Lachansky and Merlin Mann on the same podcast would be <laughs> amazing. Um, uh, anyway, and they have this show called Reconcilable Differences, and they they have a a uh, thing that they've started doing, uh, which Merlin calls the uh, spoiler spot, uh, because apparently spoiler spot is hard to say, um, uh, where at the end of the show they talk about a thing, um, but they that but they want people to listen to the whole show, but they put the the thing that they're gonna uh, talk about, which has spoilers in it, in the spo- spoiler spot. Um, so that people can stop listening at that point. And they've sucked me into watching a couple of things this way. And the most recent thing uh, that they have sucked me into is a show called The OA. Yeah. Have you I heard know. about this show? I have, I've seen it. It's come up in my Netflix okay. Uh, thing. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So uh, it's a really uh, kind of weird, uh, interesting show. The best description uh, I've, the, the, the thing that I've, the best thing I've heard, uh, uh, like whether you should watch it or not is just watch the first episode. And if you're intrigued, uh, then you should watch more. If it is not for you, then you just know it's not for you. So uh, rather than spoil anything, I would say just, uh, just, 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 just watch the, if, if, if you think that if you, and, and so the, the, uh, IMDB, we're not going to link to Netflix because it wants me to log in, but, uh, the IMDB page for the OA, uh, says, uh, uh, drama fantasy mystery. Ooh. And, uh, and so just, uh, just check it out. And it's, it's quite good. Uh, I have made it almost through season one. I've got two more episodes to go. And thanks to the amazing Netflix app, uh, I could download those, those episodes to my iPad. So um, I, I have them uh, with me ready to go and possibly we'll, we'll watch them on an airplane sometime soon. So, uh, And I did have some travel last week, so um, I watched a couple of episodes uh, while I was uh, teaching a better process. Not, not while I was teaching a better process control school, but while I was out of town uh, to teach a better process control school, I, I watched a couple more episodes. So I've got, like, uh, like I said, I think I've got two more episodes to go all right so and then then, then i can go back and watch uh the rest listen to the rest of reconcilable differences where they spoil the show so excellent good i'm i'm in uh i have so since since i'm doing some travel um i've got some stuff on on my uh here let me oh i don't have my my ipad here my netflix queue you know what i'm gonna what i'm gonna watch i think again because i hear about it on podcasts all the time uh glenn gary glenn ross You've not seen it. I've seen it like nine times, but I haven't. Oh, it's gonna watch it again. I'm gonna watch it again because I think there's more things that I need to to watch, um, and and it's I haven't watched it maybe for three or four years. It's like The Big Lebowski, where yes. there were a lot of you know Dan and, and Merlin talked about The Big Lebowski a few years ago, three or four years ago, mm-hmm. and um, and then I watched it again and and I got more out of it because I was listening to it with their filter on. Mm. So uh, same thing with uh, Glenn, Glenn, Glenn Gary. Say that four times fast. Five times mm. fast. Glenn, 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 uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Uh, yeah. So so we'll see if I can. Tonight tonight's a big. I mean, we got we got a lot of Toronto sports today. So um, it's opening day for uh, Major League Baseball. That's the um, small sports ball with the red stitching. With the, right. sti- with the right. sticks, I, I've heard other people talking about that one. Hit it with hit the ball with the sticks. Hit yep. the ball with the sticks. Uh, Blue Jays play uh, Baltimore Orioles uh, today, 
Um, and uh, Toronto Maple Leafs play tonight. So I, there's going to be some sports I'm going to watch uh, or at least follow as I'm traveling to uh, Philadelphia. Um, and then, uh, and then I got I got a bunch of stuff that I can watch on my on my iPad. It is nice that Netflix allows you to download stuff. I read that Hulu is also um, exploring that option soon because um, it you know once it's on your on your phone it's it's so or your iPad it's just so nice to be you know able to watch that stuff on a plane without doing it without acquiring it other ways. Right. Exactly. Um. Hey, so I got some food safety stuff I want to talk about. Okay, me good, too. This is a podcast about food safety. I think it's right in the name, Ben. Don, Don, I had a I had a weird week last week. Did it, you? Did I, you get sick from food poisoning? No, no, I did not. Okay, I did not get sick from food poisoning. Um, I I got into you. You know the you know the British terms, right? You you mm-hmm. know we're all up on the British terms. Yeah. What's it? Is it a row? Is it a row? What is it that when you get into a like a, a verbal sparring match? Uh, I I think that's a uh, kerfuffle. It's a kerfuffle. I kerfu- we I kerfuffled uh, <laughs> with uh, with Gwyneth Paltrow's camp. Oh yes, I I, I heard about this. Uh, yes, it was. It's kind of okay. So I want to talk to you about your you and I had. Um, some experiences of food safety making popular culture with research that we did last year. You had yes. um, the five second rule, which which is the which really is the gift that keeps on giving. It, it, yes, it, it you know we, we talked even about it in uh, last week's episode, just the last episode. Yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, so so we we did this we did this research on food safety in cookbooks, and and so I, we talked a little bit about this in in, in the last episode. Um, the, that research was published. Um, and then we, uh, NC state put out a press release, um, last week. So it was published right when we recorded our, our previous episode. Um, and, uh, the press release, um, was really just saying, Hey, look, we looked at a bunch of cookbooks. Most of them don't say anything about endpoint temperatures and, and no one really cared too much. (laughs) Except, except, uh, the, uh, UK, uh, paparazzi press like the daily sun and the guardian and the daily mail and the uk independent i don't know enough about their um a friend of the pod john bassett is gonna have to explain this to me uh, uh-huh. about, about who what for, what, for what, the what did you say for, you you heard me you heard me you heard me so i'm so angry right now i'm, I'm, I'm just I, i'm not gonna be able to listen to you for like 10 minutes while i calm down um it's yeah, you're, you're friend of the pod, um, John Bassett's. Uh, we'll cut that out. Yeah, right. We'll we'll fix that in post. Uh, friend of the po- podcast. Uh, podcast. Yes, that's what it's called, Ben. We're doing a podcast. I know. I know. Uh, not so, pod people. So John. So John is he? He. Uh, well, I, I think he listens because he he sends us good comments. Um, mm. But he's gonna have to explain to me which which of these uh, <laughs> which, which of these publications is is more like the new york times and which is more like more like the new york post the new york post or the national Enquirer. um and anyway uh front page news on the daily mail uh is um a headline that says with a picture uh that is almost the entire uh right hand side uh of uh, gwyneth paltrow and it says um could celebrity recipes be poisoning you see page five I want to I want I want to call call out um, 
in, in, call into uh, Betteridge's Law here? And, and the answer is no. Celebrity no. recipes are not poisoning you. Um, you. You following a celebrity recipe to a T without hitting a safe endpoint temperature may increase your risk of foodborne illness. Not the greatest headline, though, right? Celebrity recipes. No, that's, that's not going to sell uh, papers, as they say. It's not. That's not going to sell the papers. So, so anyway, here's uh, here here's what happened. Um, uh, uh, Thursday Thursday morning, Friday morning uh, last week, uh, I get a call very early on my phone from a, uh, a journalist who is very excited about um, our our research and with one question or. One focus, which is who was the worst? What book? Ooh. Yeah, what book? I like it has the worst um, um, information. And and when I answered that with a um, science based response of we didn't really test that, <laughs> they the the journalist said, okay, fine. How did Gwyneth Paltrow do? <laughs> So that's good. They they basically they had a lead and uh, they weren't going to bury the lead, nope. as they say. Exactly. So so, so yes. So one one of the books that we uh, investigated. Uh, so so we started uh, with a total of uh, fifty three books that were on the New York Times bestseller, and we eliminated uh, some of them because they didn't have recipes in them. This is for um, food and diet. We got down to twenty nine books. In those 29 books, there were 1,700 recipes um, that contained a raw animal protein where someone could, um, you know, effectively cross-contaminate or, um, you know, we, it would be something that uh, would have a, a safe endpoint temperature associated with it. We then cut another 250 recipes because they were things that were hard to measure uh, with the thermometer. So, yes, while... Um, you know, a safe endpoint temperature would be correct for something like skillet fried ground beef that you're going to use in a taco. It's really hard to get the internal temperature of a maybe three millimeter long piece of ground beef with a so, tip sensitive thermometer. So what you're saying is if I was a celebrity chef and I wanted to get a pass on food safety from you, I should just have a, a bunch of uh, beef taco recipes. And, yeah. and, and you, you are going to stay uh, uh, out of my face. We wouldn't uh, code them. Yeah, we All right. Yeah, we wouldn't code because because and I, that was that was really in the in the in our approach on what we were going to do. Uh, Katrina Levine, who's the lead author on the study, um, we you know, the idea was, OK, let's look at what the messages are. That's where we start. Okay. Once we started looking at the messages, she came. She came back and said, "I've got all these recipes where it's stuff that's really hard to take the temperature. Should we even include them? Because while it might be correct practically, who's who's able to do it?" And and you know, I, I agreed with her. Um, you know, her assessment. I was like, you know what? Let's let's just kick them out, right? Like it's if if it's you, I, I would hate to um, create something. That looks like we're penalizing uh, an author for not including instructions on something that no one could do anyway, right? Like that—that that was the, the right. idea. Yeah. No. So you basically, <clears throat> what you're saying is you are not looking to just go and slam these cookbooks, right? Like unnecessarily, right? Like you were really. You, you did what a good scientist would do, which is you said you took a step back and you said, "Look, let's. We want to critique." 
uh, we, we want to investigate and we and if we find something that's that's erroneous, we want to critique it. But we're not going to bias our results. We're, we're going to look at recipes that only a normal person would say, yes, you should take a temperature there. Right. 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 Yeah. The, the, because, I mean, let's let's look at the process of scientific publishing and peer review. Um, someone's going to look over our material and say, um, yeah, that's, that's acceptable. Or I see the logic behind why you did what you did. And, and we want to, you know, we want to, we always, um, you know, my group and, and you and I have talked about this scientists, we, we do, we have to recognize what our limitations are to the studies. And we want to be very upfront with that because when I critically evaluate a, um, a paper or, you know, a set of research, um, I, I'm, I'm looking for those limitations. I mean, that's, that's really the lens that I'm putting on, on someone's research. And so the same way I expect that someone's going to do that, um, for when they look at, when they look at our stuff. Um, so it's like, okay, let's eliminate those things. Cause no one's going to really like, it's not reasonable to expect that someone should include that. Cause it's going to be hard to do. So, so now we're down to about 1500 recipes in 29 books. And of those 1500 recipes, um, about 8%, 8.3% had um, a endpoint temperature associated with it. And so, we, you know, we talked about this in the last uh, podcast, and about 30% of those 8% had incorrect endpoint temperatures from a safety standpoint. So, but, I mean, effectively, 90% of the recipes that, are, that were out there in our, um, in our, you know, in our study, which, you know, we, we didn't look at a full year. We looked at... Um, uh, and, and again, justification on this, we looked at um, best-selling uh, cookbooks in uh, a, uh, I think it was a four-month period uh, in 2013 and 14 around the holidays where we would estimate that uh, cookbook sales are at the highest. So it's like, what are the most popular ones of that season this year? Let's look at a snapshot. Not all cookbooks of all time. Right, right. This is a point in time, but I would suspect a relatively representative point in time. Right. That, yeah, that's, that's exactly the goal. Um, and so anyway, we look at, we look at this, we, we come up with, um, a, a way to code them and it's not like this is, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot of data to go through, but it's not like this is a super complicated study, right? It's like, we know what the temperatures are because we have science and we look for the science-based temperatures and we're not looking at time temperature combinations, which is a limitation, right? Like, 155 degrees Fahrenheit for 27 seconds effectively could be the same as 160 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and so, you know, there, there are still, you know, there's, there's some limitations in, in here. Anyway, we come, we come down and say, basically no one talks about temperatures. That's, I mean, that's the message. And if they do talk about temperatures, a, a decent amount of time, they, they do it in a way that isn't, isn't correct from a safe safety standpoint. No. So, but you know, going going back to what got us into some fun conversation last week was who's the worst, and what about this person? Because we don't, <laughs> because we don't know in the UK, and this is what was really interesting. We don't know who Rachel Ray is. We don't know who Reed Drummond is. We don't right. know who right. um, Giada Delorius, Delorius, whoever. Jada 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 Ben, do you know? Don't, you don't you don't know who Jada Delorentis is? I know who she is. So I just don't know how to say okay. her name. Okay. Uh, we don't know who um, uh, Ann Romney is, you know, Mitt Romney's wife. She has a cookbook that was a bestseller, The Romney Family Table. Uh, we don't know who Jessica Seinfeld is um, of, of uh, 
Jerry. Sorry. She on that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, doesn't doesn't really matter. Uh, but but do tell us about Gwyneth Paltrow because we really know who Gen- Gwyneth Paltrow is. Um, and so we uh, so I answer and say, well, here's an example of a recipe because you know you you do you do interviews sometimes, right, Don? You, mm-hmm. You've been known to uh, dabble in the media arts, as they as they're known, as I just yes. termed it. Yes. And sometimes you get a question when you're driving. Sometimes you get a question while you're, um, I don't know, like uh, in 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 the can. Uh, not not like, hey, this podcast is done. It's in the can. But you know, when when you're you're in a place where you want to give a very quick answer because you might be busy with something else. Yeah, indisposed, as, indisposed. as the would say, I think. Yeah, so so the question that I received was, could you give me an example of Gwyneth Paltrow's recipes that do not have an endpoint temperature? And I was like, oh, yeah, no problem. So I Google Gwyneth Paltrow cookbook um, and find a recipe very quickly. Uh, and, in fact, the recipe that I found, and this is, this is where um, I don't know if, if this contributed to – the excitement or not, uh, it, there may have been a uh, un, uh, unforeseen uh, un, un, uh, a benefit to this. But I gave them a recipe from a book that we did not study. I gave them a recipe um, called Roast Chicken Rotisserie Style. And in that, uh, um, uh, in that recipe, they said... Um, you will know it's done or roast a chicken uh, at 400 uh, degrees Fahrenheit for 70 minutes, which is ample time to cook a three to four pound chicken. And so I shot off this recipe and I was like, look, here's an example. Um, the, the journalist who I was working with then sent that to Gwyneth Paltrow's people and said, hey, this, this nerd in, in North Carolina um, says that this recipe is, is incorrect. Uh, that it needs an endpoint temperature, and and they the Gwyneth Paltrow's people responded through the journalist saying, yeah, well, um, this this doesn't have an endpoint temperature, but that's ample time to cook this three to four pound chicken, and I'll come back to that in a minute. Mm. They then said, funny, the the paper the paper said that they looked at it's all good, which is a different book. It was published in two thousand and thirteen. There is a roast chicken recipe in there called Super Crispy Roast Chicken. Uh, it's baked. It says bake it for one and a half hours at 425 degrees and that the chicken thigh should register 165 degrees Fahrenheit with a digital thermometer at the very least. And that Gwyneth adds a postscript that says, I usually let it get to 180 degrees Fahrenheit just to be completely sure it's cooked all the way through the bone or through. Yeah. All, all the way through the bone. Anyway. So they send this back <laughs> and then they say, so what do you got for us? Chapman. And I think, okay, now I'm sitting at my computer. I've got some more time. I've got, I've got some more stuff for you. So we went back to the spreadsheet. We went back to the data and looked at all of the, you know, the, the recipes that were coded um, in that book. And really quickly, we were able to find another five recipes where there weren't endpoint temperatures. So it's like they called us on this and be like, oh, yeah. Here's our roast chicken. It does have an endpoint temperature, which we coded correctly in our, you know, in our study. That was one of the eight percent of recipes that had a correct endpoint temperature. Um, and then they, uh, uh, then we found another five and said, "Look, how about these ones?" 
Hey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because clearly, clearly, you know how to specify an endpoint temperature. This uh, right. super crispy roast chicken in in it's all good um, is uh, uh, you you did it. You knew, you knew how to do it. So what's up with all the other stuff? Why don't you do that for your chicken burgers Thai style? Why not right. for the Japanese chicken meatballs? Why not for turkey meatballs? And, and the jacket, Japanese t- chicken. So. Um, there, there's some, and this is this, in, in fact, exemplified the whole reason why we did this study. Japanese chicken meatballs, which we'll link to in the show notes. Um, here, here, here's how you make them, Don. Thoroughly mix chicken with salt, pepper, garlic, ginger, soy sauce, and maple syrup. Roll the mixture into golf ball-sized meatballs. Grill, roast, broil, or pan-fry the meatballs until they're cooked through, and serve them. Cook through. Cook through. Not even piping. Not even piping hot. No, not even a piping hot here. Um, so so anyway, that was so so they um they I you know I I don't know the a, a, a kerfuffle a, a a row a row a row a row is probably not the uh, uh, I'm probably overstating it, but um, it got it got picked up. So this this whole conversation was in the in the dailies there. And then it got picked up by like Food and Wine website, where Food and Wine kind of um, did a uh, talked like, well, you know, we kind of wish that Gwyneth didn't have to deal with this. You know, they they I, I, their article was kind of fun uh, to read because you know it starts with making fun of Goop, which is uh, Gwyneth's uh, website, <laughs> is. Um, is pretty much a rite of passage at this point. Can you blame us? Um, even Gwyneth Paltrow, the site's fearless leader, once admitted she'd tried to consciously uncouple herself from the brand. Um, and, and so we, okay. yeah, which is great. So we point some of this stuff out, and um, you know, they say for once, let's cut Paltrow some slack out of the whopping twenty-nine. And I like how they, you know, they they sort of downplay our sample. Whopping twenty-nine best-selling cookbooks. These experts analyzed, and I'm glad they didn't put that in air quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, only 9% of them included specific temperature information. She's in good company. Meanwhile, only 89 of the almost 1,500 recipes included in the study were deemed instructionally safe. Right. <laughs> that was the point. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so they say, honestly, none of this seems too egregious, and we almost wish Paltrow didn't have to deal with this PR headache. And I want to point out, it's a PR headache that they kind of created. <laughs> yes. Because they, they didn't have to respond yes. to us. Yes. Uh, so anyway, it was fun, uh, and it got to... You know, food and wine, and this you know Daily Mail, and then Breitbart, and oh. yeah, which is great. And as you pointed out to me, um, don't read the comments. So that's, I mean, that really could be. It's complicated. It depends, and don't read the comments. Don't read the comments. Uh, so anyway, that was that was, and then you know, I, on Friday afternoon, um, I, I just wanted to write and tell the story. So I, I chronicled sort of almost the exact same thing as what I just told you in a, in a barf blog post. And, and it was, it, it, it now will become, I think one of the stories that I use in my talks, which is um, do, do good science, explore things. And people might be really interested in what Gwyneth Paltrow does. <laughs> like, yeah, well, and that's, see, that's the, that's the game that, we play right if we're going to do stuff and we're going to talk to the news media you have to be prepared for whatever happens right whatever happens and that might be uh gwyneth paltrow's people um or or it might not be but but that's the game right and if you if you don't 
want to play the game, then don't play the game. But if you're going to play the game, you got to You got to be in there and you got to you got to do what you got to do. I, I think that the, honestly, the most interesting thing about the whole story is that when they called you for a comment and then they and then they wanted um, uh, to know about Gwyneth. You didn't go back to your data. You right. just Googled something on the internet, and then you just went with that. I which would, yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm not sure I would do that, but, but I, but I appreciate that you qualified that uh, you're in a hurry. I was and, in a hurry. Uh, you know, yeah. you're, you're a busy man. And they told me they're like, I need an answer right now. And I was oh. like, and I was re- like, literally, Don. This email was like, it was the third email that I had gotten from them in a in a five second, not five, like in a five minute period with like the title urgent, like we're going to press. My editor really wants this information. And, and, and I was like, okay, well, if you want something, I don't have, I'm like, and I'm like, not, not even joking, Don, I am literally on the toilet when this is happening. I whisper that. I don't know why. And, and I was like, well, let me just Google this for you. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, here's an example. And and, uh, in hindsight, that was, um, I wonder in hindsight it worked out okay. Right. And, and I wonder had I had gone back to the original and found those five whether they would have responded or not. Like like maybe the fact that I cited something that was from a different book prompted them to engage in this conversation well and 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 to say oh yeah oh by the way uh we have another chicken recipe that in the <laughs> yeah. book they looked at and it was okay i i don't know if you point this out in the barf blog uh post i don't know if you mentioned it here no, um yeah. the the one problem with uh that well, well why don't you ben why don't you tell uh the listeners uh, what the one problem was with the super crispy roast chicken that had a safe endpoint temperature sure yes no i didn't mention that here <laughs> and i appreciate you uh highlighting this uh it says um, wash the chicken first and pat it dry, uh, which I pointed out to the journalist um, with their very own UK uh, guidance from the FSA, who is very <laughs> interested in Campylobacter, or as they call it, Campylobacter, right. um, is, uh, is really not a great thing to do and increases your risk of foodborne illness. And then I sent them our, uh, our good friend, uh, I, I don't know if she's friend of the pod. Uh, uh, Jennifer Quinlan's uh, work <laughs> on um, uh, on don't wash your chicken. Some great stuff that came out of New Mexico State and a partnership she had, and said, "Yeah, this probably isn't a great message either." But they omitted that part when they sent it back. Um, so great, thanks for highlighting this this message. It does have endpoint temperature, but we did code it incorrectly because it said to wash the chicken, which is not a great idea. Right, which is it's sort of like like almost inadvertently you did like a uh, a news media a judo move on them. I did. I did. <laughs> you faked. They they fainted, uh, and then you flipped them. I flipped. I, it's a faint faint flip. Yeah. Um, so so anyway, it so yeah. The you're right. The the lesson that I that I kind of learned on this was get, give yourself like five minutes to get out of the restroom. Go go or back to the day or don't because it might just turn out just fine. And, well, yeah, it turned out just fine on this one. Um, well, and here's the thing: if you had said, "Look, I really I can't deal with this right now," they would have said, "Okay, we're going to press." Right. Yeah. So you didn't you you didn't really have a choice, right? You needed to give them something, and you did the best you could uh, under the circumstances, which I think is is what uh, all that you can ask of anyone. Yeah, yeah, and it was and I and like you know like I, I that's why I wanted to kind of write about it was like yeah this is. This is why they started with this this article that I gave them. I mean, I was I was the one who gave it to them, or this this recipe, right? Like, and this is the this is the reason behind it. it's because they asked for it really really quickly, and I wanted to give them 
something. And and this comes back to um, a message that that Doug impressed on me for, for, through all of my you know training at graduate school is if you're not part of the conversation, they're going to find it somewhere else, and you have a chance to tell your story, right? So here I was like, oh well, I better get him something to to demonstrate what it is I'm talking about, and and it just was the wrong one from the wrong book. And, and it, but whatever it all it all worked out. And then once I went back to the right book, and Katrina was, was like was awesome last week because I, I was like, okay, let's go back to the spreadsheet, let's look at all the coding, and just the meticulous notes that she took from the raw data made it so within a ten minute period with a spreadsheet in front of me, I could give them five more recipes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that that were and that was just you know. And then I said, is that enough, or do you want me to look for more? And they said, oh no, that's enough. <laughs> so. Um, it was just, yeah, a, br- a brush with, uh, it, it, here's, here's the thing that, that you probably experienced with the, uh, five second rule stuff for a moment in time last week, there were a lot of people that were talking about something we created and that was costing somebody money, right? Like someone was paying these journalist salaries to have this conversation back and forth. Someone in Gwyneth Paltrow's group had to spend time to respond to this, and deal with this this you know PR uh, conversation, and and had had you know had we not had the idea and had Katrina not done the work on this project, none of that's happening, and 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 so I, I did an interview earlier today um, with the um, with with the with a local paper, somewhat local paper, Charlotte Observer, one of my um, you know sort of media friends, um, Kathleen Purvis. Um, and she, uh, she, she asked, she's like, so did you expect this, you know, this conversation to happen? I was like, well, you know, it's cookbooks and, and I think it's easier to connect with food safety and cookbooks with the, you know, with, a um, in the, in the media than it is for, you know, one of the more recent papers that we published on going public with food safety information, right? Like it's, it's just more accessible. So I did expect that people would have more of an interest in this. I didn't expect that we would be talking about Gwyneth Paltrow, but, but, but Kathleen asked the question, she's like, so did you hear from like, is the university happy with you? I'm like, I, and it was it like, took me aback and I was like, I, I don't, I don't think they're unhappy with me. I don't know. Like I, no one said, Hey, don't talk about Gwyneth Paltrow anymore. Um, it, it, but so, so she said, so what, you know, what, what do you get out of this? What are the lessons learned? And I was like, you know, this, this met, our goal of increasing dialogue around food safety. And, and if one of the ways to get through the system of um, cookbook authors and publishers is to have a conversation about Gwyneth Paltrow's endpoint temperatures in, you know, e-news daily, then, then I'm all for it. Like I, this is, this is exactly why I'm in the game. Um, And so I, I mean, I, there's nothing but positive stuff from, uh, from me on this. Uh, but, but it was, you know, and I, I'm sure you, you, you probably had a similar situation with the five second rule where there was just all this other stuff that you probably couldn't predict. You knew it would be big, but you didn't know mm-hmm. exactly what direction it was going to go in. Yeah. And, and lots of really good 
like questions came out of that that I never that weren't in my original press release, but that I have since incorporated. Um, and in fact, I gave um, I gave the very first talk on the five second rule research that I've ever given um, uh, actually to an interesting group of people, the people uh, at Rutgers and other places that basically are in charge of uh, biosafety, right? Like people that inspect our oh, laboratories yeah. and they were they were they they because they're at Rutgers and they heard about the publicity for the thing. And, and so they were really excited to invite me to come to their meeting. And so I talked to a bunch of industrial microbiologists and people that are not food safety people, but obviously cross-contamination is really big and important to them. And so I had a chance to actually put some of what I learned that wasn't in the research, that wasn't in the original press release. And people have all sorts of interesting questions. And 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 I evolved the way I talked about the story based on the questions that I got. And huh. it was it was a really but it was a really busy time. And but I absolutely don't don't regret it. And because it, you know that's what we're here to do. And and hopefully maybe somewhere out there someone uh, listened to this story, heard about this story, read read a piece, and maybe at some point we will have a celebrity cookbook or a best-selling New York Times best-selling cookbook that has more endpoint temperatures in it, Ben, because that's, that's the that's objective the at the end of the day, right? Is, that, is yep. And again, we're not saying that these recipes were necessarily unsafe. All we're saying is tell people the endpoint temperature, and then, uh, and then they'll be more safe. Because uh, not only would it stop someone potentially from getting sick from your recipe, it's part of raising education about food safety in general. The endpoint temperatures are important. And we we should we should talk about them because and, because it makes food safer. And it's a start, right? Like right, like, like right. This, and, and if people are going to go to whatever source, you know, people want want to. We want to make food preparation more accessible, right? Like we want to get people excited about um, where where food comes from and and what their um, you know, what, what decisions are made as it gets to their uh, to their grocery store, and that they're trying different foods because preparing foods um, has a, a connection to um, to better nutrition, and you know all of the all of the good things that go along go along with um, with cookbooks is this is a place where someone can go for new ideas about food, or or you know they really like a flavor combination, or they've got these ingredients. Let's go try something. Um, new and 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 all all we're kind of pointing out here with this you know exploration of what it currently says is um with the group of books that we looked at there's not a lot of great messages around endpoint temperatures and endpoint temperatures matter when it comes to safety so if we want people to um cook more we also don't want them to uh to make themselves sick sick as they're as they're cooking it and and if you know um Reed Drummond or Ann Romney says this is a really great dish. Why would you even think that it was a really great dish that that would make you sick? Because they didn't get sick when they made it, right? Like, so let's get this right. information in there because it may not be something that is overt uh, to the reader. And yeah, I mean that's that's it. That's the goal. Let's just get more temperatures in there. And so it for for I love this story for a lot of different reasons, and one of them is this is. You know, I'm biased because it's because it's our group, right? But this is what I think um, I should be doing as a researcher at a university: highlighting, it, it, first of all, investigating whether there's an issue because that's what we didn't know, right? Like without systematically looking at this stuff, anecdotally we could say, yeah, there's not a lot of temperatures out there, but without actually doing the work, you don't have the foundation to say, hey, there's a problem here. Let's come up with some solutions to fix it. 
and that that really is what our you know what I think our job is or what I think my job is um, and, and so generating this knowledge and then taking the next step of putting it out there engaging in the dialogue and then giving something to the people that write cookbooks about how to do this better or about you know and not in a like um, uh, uh, paternalistic kind of way but in like hey you might not have thought of this before but here's what we know about how people use cookbooks and this is the information that's in there how can we um uh be part of the the food safety discussion and so so i, I like i like that it's this is a like a complete kind of package approach um which is not something that we all that we always have uh that, like me right like that, mm -hmm. that my group always has yeah. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's good. It was, it was a good thing you did, man. That was fun. <clears throat> so, I, so I was I so excited when we, when it all went down, like Don, you could hear my voice, that. right? I'm so Still, pumped. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Hey, so, so I have two things. Number one, um, about the idea of, uh, getting the word out. Um, and then, uh, uh, so I want to tell a little anecdote, uh, from, from some listener feedback. And then I want to move to, uh, almost the exact opposite of what you're talking about, which is a food poisoning situation that people really didn't have any control over. So, so I want to give a, a nice shout out to a friend of the podcast, uh, <laughs> podcast, uh, um, uh, Beth McCoy, um, who, who is, uh, uh, even though she works in a completely different world, okay. She is an English professor. Um, she, uh, realizes that we have some, uh, some good advice. And so, um, she was, uh, she was writing a, she was writing a letter to some people and she said, and she, and this is me quoting her, quoting from her letter. Um, in other words, to use a line from my favorite food safety podcast, quote, it's complicated and it depends. So, so thanks, Beth. I have to ask uh, what other food safety podcasts are you listening to <laughs> that are not your favorite? Okay. Well, we're um, number one with a bullet. But we're, no. we're number one. Right. Um, uh, but then she also says, uh, your English professor friend of the show. Uh, and then she puts a little asterisk and she she says, an English professor friend of the show. I can't be the only one. So we want to know, Beth, uh, uh, what other food safety podcasts you listen to. And we also want to hear from our listeners. Are there any other English professors um, who listen? Um, and uh, my response to her was, you are the English professor friend of the show, as far as I'm concerned. So so thanks. Uh, thanks to Beth for for reaching out and for and for sharing, for spreading the word. Um, the It's complicated and it depends. I've heard other people quote us on that as well. And so uh, it's always gives me great, great pleasure when um, when people People quote that um but I, now i so on I, that you know that yes. every time i use it i i like snicker inside a little bit because i i i use it and then i don't they're not in like they're not part of the joke for the most part yeah, right exactly. like it's a little it's a little inside and then when they are when you know in in the one percent of the time where one person walks up to me afterwards and is like oh it's complicated and it depends uh then it's even better right like it's right. oh it's so fun um, but but I want to out now talk about something that is uh, quite quite serious, and uh, I, this has been come across my desk in a couple of different ways. Uh, I want to this this is and I'll read from a post um, uh, from uh, from Bill Marler's blog. Uh, the headline is 
Dixie Dew hit with FDA suspension due to E. coli outbreak. Um, stunning inspection findings. And, you know, I, it's, they criticize the news media, criticize uh, lawyers like Bill for using words like stunning inspection findings. But boy, these were these are not good inspection findings. And so um, as uh, listeners of the show uh, and, and fans of food safety will know, um, when FDA inspects a facility, uh, they fill out something called a uh, 483. Um, and, uh, and, and so I'm going to read to you from the 483 that Marler quotes in his blog. And there are, uh, occasionally there are not occasionally often there are, uh, pr there's proprietary information, food safety. Uh, I mean, uh, um, um, uh, 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 market-related information about uh, brands that are used or equipment that's used or volumes, production volumes, all of those are trade secret and, and, and cannot be revealed. And so there's a redacted 483. But uh, there's there's a couple of points here that I, that I want to read to you and then I want to get your reaction. So um, investigators observed grossly insanitary conditions that cause your firm's soy nut butter products to be adulterated, food contact surfaces, floors, walls, and ceilings in the soy nut butter processing and packaging rooms were heavily coated with soy nut butter buildup from previous production runs. Firm does not routinely wash and sanitize smaller pipes, pipe fittings, gaskets, seals, or the rubber blank plug. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> rubber blank plug uh, when broken down following a production run. Firm does not conduct a kill step for soy nut butter product remaining in your firm's mixing kettle left over from a production run. Plant manager stated up to blank may remain in kettle overnight uh, or weekend. I guess that would be uh, volume. Um, overnight or weekend prior to resuming production, you and your plant manager stated the kettle is shut off when product remains in kettle overnight and or over the weekend. Plant manager and maintenance supervisor reported your blank machine used for fine mixing of soy nut butter and blank routinely shuts off during processing. Your plant manager states this occurs one to two times per day, and this problem has persisted for approximately 15 years despite re repeated maintenance intended to correct the problem. Firm monitors the soy nut blank with a blank thermometer, but plant manager stated he has never verified. The plant manager stated he has never verified the accuracy of the instrument. You and your plant manager report your temperature probe and chart recorder initially engineered to verify and record blank of the product in the large mixing kettle is not functioning properly and has not been used for well over a year. Ben, this is bad. It's, it's not, this it's not is good. Not good. It's not good. It's not good. So, um, so here I've got, I've got two, I mean, I've got really two, two big things on this. So it's not, it's, it's a, a, a bad 483. Um, and that, you know, that, that's the inside baseball, uh, term for, um, this, uh, inspection form that FDA uses. And this is a form, uh, in this case that, that was used, uh, as a result of, um, you know, investigating this, this outbreak, um, linked to the, I am healthy soy nut butter stuff. So, you know, uh, the discussion um, was, um, or, you know, early on about we've there. There's some pathogenic E. coli that's linked to I am healthy nut butter, but but you could read between the Marler Post lines and not. And you don't even have to read between the lines. Where um, in in the early parts, Bill really focused on well, who's the packer? Because I am healthy is not they've got a they've got a packer and who else right. does, does this group pack for and, and so when this information comes out it's dixie do um 
products for, in Kentucky, you know, there's the answer to the who's the packer. Here's the the thing that um, that I, that I want to highlight, and I just sent you a link um, to the about us page in Dixie Dew Products Incorporated. Um, so they're strategically located in northern Kentucky, one mile from the Greater Cincinnati Airport. I'm going to drive by there. In fact, uh, at the end of this month, I'll be in Cincinnati. Um, uh, all products are developed in quality control. It's assured in our state of the art research and development quality assurance lab. We are inspected by the FDA administration and AIB and independent auditors provided by our clients. Don, why, why, why is the first time this stuff comes out is in a response to a bunch of illnesses. Why does uh, an audit, I don't ex actually inspect, in the current system, I don't expect that an FDA either contracted or, or inspection is going to catch a lot of this stuff. But I do expect, especially for all the platitudes that come out in the auditing world, that an AIB, an independent auditor, would be able to see that this uh, machine used for mixing the soy nut butter routinely shuts off during processing. And it's persisted for 15 years and no one's been able to fix it. And I would also expect them to see that there, um, there's some monitoring with the thermometer that's not been verified or calibrated uh, ever, <laughs> right? Like, this stuff should come out. And maybe that's us, again, expecting more out of these spot checks than, than, are, um, uh, than are possible. But I think what's sold to the buyers of this type of product is, hey, yeah, you have an inspection, you have an audit, everything's good. But these are five things here. Um, well, four things um, here that uh, that really should should have been caught at some point, especially if you look at the persistence that the plant manager tells FDA. Why doesn't it come up earlier? Why? Why? Why, Don? What do you know? Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well. I. Yeah. I don't know anything. Um. But. But. But I. I so. I, and I. But I appreciate. Um. Uh. You clarifying like the the packer, and this is something. That I, I, despite having three degrees in food science, that didn't really ever become clear to me until I got out and started working as an extension person and and you know reading about outbreaks and and learning about the industry is that, as you said, I am healthy is the brand, right? But I am healthy doesn't make this stuff. They contract to a a packer who will who will or a co-packer that will process food for them. And that co-packer is Dixie Dew. And so anytime you do that, you are you are reliant upon um, that company to um, uh, to to do a good job uh, in terms of food safety. Um, also, I want to point out, Ben, I don't know if you noticed this on the Dixie Dew website about us that you read to read read to us. Um, that website, that web page apparently was is is copyright 2004. Oh, so so that, that website was probably created in 2004, um, and I don't know if it's been updated since. And so, but I have some questions, and I, I know you don't have answers, but I have some questions. So, how often um, was it inspected by the FDA, and what did those inspection results reveal? And how often was it inspected by AIB, and how often was it inspected by uh, other uh, independent uh, or third-party auditors? And also, and this is something that we learned. Um, uh, during the um, uh, 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 the the peanut outbreak, um, uh, Peanut Butter Corporation of America, um, PCA outbreak, um, that 
the word was in the industry, at least I've heard from industry people, the word was in the industry, these guys were bad actors. And so the, the, the less cost conscious or the more food safety conscious companies uh, didn't buy from them or, or treated what, what was sold to them by Peanut Corporation of America with suspicion. Right. Right. Um, and and so I wonder what is the perception of Dixie Do? And I can tell you, I can tell you that uh, the quality of audits varies. And you know this. You you published on this. I, I have not published on this, but I do have regular meetings with. Uh, a colleague in the food industry um, who until recently he's actually got, he's got a different job but until recently he would go out and do these inspections and he would find like bad stuff right um, that 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 other people apparently hadn't noticed or didn't didn't call into question so there is a well, and, and again, I know you can talk more articulately, articulately about this because you published on this, but there is a problem and there continues to be a problem I think with um, auditors, right? And and if you think about it, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, but not, not too much recently, um, if you are a third-party auditor and you go into a facility, um, if you are hired by that facility, you don't really have an incentive to find problems. We've mostly talked about this with respect to uh, agricultural inspection, but it could apply to packing houses as well. Like you really want, you want a third-party that their job is to try to find problems. You want to incentivize them to find problems. You don't want to incentivize them to give people a passing grade. And it's a, it's a, it's a problem. And I, I, I don't know how to fix it, except that I, I, I just, I hope that, and I'm, I'm no, I know there are people out there that are trying to fix it, but it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a problem, Ben. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I, it's uh, it's discouraging to think that in this day and age, um, we have we have problems like this. And maybe maybe this is a kind of problem that FISMA will eventually, as it rolls forward, assuming that we still have a FISMA uh, under the current administration, um, that eventually it will fix stuff like this. But but this is this is a this is a company that really maybe not like. Uh, maybe not like uh, PCA. Um, these guys, I mean, at least it sounds like they were trying to do the right thing. Maybe they didn't have the uh, the right budget, or, you know, I mean, you know, the the uh, what does it say? The the um, the plant manager. Uh, the problem has persisted despite repeated maintenance to correct the problem. Okay, so that's good that they are trying to correct the problem. It's bad that they haven't fixed it in 15 years. To me, that says they don't have the resources. Right? This is a company that is is not just doesn't have the the finances needed to really fix this. Right. So I, yeah. I don't know. You you've been you've been sending me some texts. You must have some. You must have some thoughts. I got some stuff on this. So All so right. I um. Uh, uh, we haven't we haven't written much about this on on Barf Blog because I've started to formulate some some ideas on this. I worked on a sort of a lo- longer kind of article um, late last week and over the weekend, and, um, and I just sent you some texts uh, uh, with with some links that we'll include in show notes um, from something that I don't know if you knew about this thing, but there's something called FDA Zilla, which is I don't know exactly who it is or how they do this. Um, you can check out the about it's, it's a, um, uh, someone who has scraped the public records to find out when, uh, GMP, um, inspections happen at FDA regulated places and they pull together, 
um, all the information that's in the public record. And so, and I love this. I, you know, you know, I'm, I'm all about public stuff being public. So what this does, as as we uh, started, as I started looking more into what who Dixie Do is, I can see that they have had. Um, at least two inspections, one in, in 2014, July 2014, one in March 2008, um, where they had uh, 483s, uh, you know, inspectional observation forms issued, meaning something happened, that FDA saw something that they needed to correct. And the process, as, as you kind of mentioned a little bit, is, um, or we've, we've talked about before, um, FDA goes out either proactively or reactively, and if they see something, they then um, write you know the the this 483 form, and then it's up to the business to respond to it, and they have some sort of timeline, 60 days, 90. I don't know. I'm not even sure if it's, uh, but they but FDA wants a response to it. So it means that at least twice in the last 10 years, um, they've they've had these 483s issued against them. And it's and now I I don't have them and they're you know, FDA Zilla doesn't um, you know uh, they, these are these forty threes are not um, uh, proactively posted by FDA but um, definitely someone out there uh, and if it hasn't happened I'm sure someone's already looking for um, you know through Freedom of Information Act to look get their hands on uh, what it says as a buyer if I'm I'm healthy I really want to know this stuff. Like something like FDA Zilla matters to me because if I have a supplier and maybe I've got 10 suppliers or 10 um, co-packers or 10 whatever, and I want to know who is actually performing well and I, and that there are inspections going on, I don't want to just ask them, oh, how was your last inspection? And they say, oh, it was great. I want to actually go and find out, hey, you know what? You had a 483. What is in that? What did you do about it? And why? Explain to me as the buyer, why you're dealing with this. So, so the first, you know, this first piece is th- there's a history, right? And, and, and is it what's in them? We don't know. Um, and, and maybe we'll know by the next, uh, uh, by the next uh, food safety talk podcast. Um, the second thing I wanted to, to, to comment on that you mentioned is about auditors. And so, you know, FDA Zilla's got the regulatory stuff. The auditing thing—that's a business-to-business proprietary uh, piece of information. Um, and and we've we've talked a lot about this um, about some of the limitations and that auditing. And I'm I'm real I'm real. Um, I, I clarify my comments on this, and I think writing the paper that that Doug and I did um, with Roy Costa and um, Katija Morley a few years ago about this really cl- helped clarify some of my my thoughts, which is auditing on its own probably doesn't matter. Auditing is part of a food safety system, right? You've got a regulatory step, and then you have these extra things that are important from a quality and safety standpoint that a buyer wants to have assurances on and wants a you know an annual look at these things. And this is where some of this stuff should come up. And and so FISMA, um, as you know, as part of FISMA, there was a, a, a there's a final rule issued um, in early, almost just over a year ago about accrediting. Uh, third-party certification bodies to conduct food safety audits of foreign food entities. And this kind of stuff is great. I think we could probably benefit from the same standards in 
the non-foreign area, and I and I know that that are you know there, there's probably some listeners that are auditors, um, and that probably already exists, uh, or it does exist, but but the fact that you know this is about um, that FISMA only really focuses on the the foreign aspect with this uh, rule is you know uh, I guess a bit a bit concerning, um, but audits they're part of it. How do we improve them? How do we better accredit it? Accredit. Um, auditors and, and and standards and auditing firms because they need to be part of this system. We just need to be and and it's the same. I mean, it's the same for inspectors or investigators. Um, you know, investigators the um, the official uh, FDA term that that they would use for the for the folks that are doing these uh, GMP inspections. Um, that we, we need to do a better job overall at getting people ready to walk into these facilities and look for something like, hey, you have a thermometer. Have you ever calibrated it? Oh, no. Or, um, you know, w- let's watch this. And, and if, as we ask you, why is it that some of your run is going to remain in the ke- kettle overnight or over weekend before resuming production? And maybe that's okay, but show us that this, you know, validated preventive control that shows that that's an okay thing to do or what kind of data do you have on it? And so, I mean, this one, um, I think there's a lot, there's a lot to this, you know, it's, it's like, as you said, similar to, to PCA, we, we've got, um, you know, we don't, we don't have any smoking gun test results, but we, we definitely have what looks like a company that has a tough time, um, with, with food safety and, addressing food safety concerns and you know we again we don't know what's in those 43s but there's there's some there's something there that they've had to respond to and so it's you know that this is all kind of information that i'd want to know as a buyer absolutely yeah and and i want to say too one of the things that that stood out to me in the uh, the 483 was the issue of maintenance. And I mentioned that I was out of town uh, last week. I was teaching a better process control school. And uh, one of the things that I shared uh, in the better process control school was about the Castleberry's uh, botulism outbreak. And uh, because that was a retorted product, uh, actually sort of similar, uh, similar type of retort, similar category of retort uh, to what um, uh, what the company who, who I was doing the training for used. But one of the issues in uh, my and I'm looking for the for the details on this. So I'm, right now I'm working from memory. But basically, the one of the, the principal causes of well, the principal cause of the outbreak was that they didn't uh, heat the food for as long as they needed to um, uh, at the temperature and time required to inactivate Clostridium botulinum. But Part of the reason for that was the design of this particular retort. Um, uh, the cans um, um, uh, need to be exposed to steam and not to water in in the retort. And if there was a plugged water line in the retort, the water wouldn't drain. And and one of the causes apparently of this outbreak was uh, deferred maintenance or inadequate maintenance on the equipment, such that the water would drain out. And because the water didn't drain out, uh, then um, uh, the, the cans didn't get appropriately processed and therefore they had a botulism outbreak. And so um, maintenance is – it's not sexy, but it's so, so important in um, making sure that your food processing plant is working. And if 
you don't, then you get situations like the I am healthy outbreak or you get uh, situations like the Castleberry's um, uh, chili sauce um, right. um, botulism outbreak. And it's 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 serious business. And and maintenance, like I said, it's not sexy, but it takes time. It takes money like stuff. It's just like fixing your car, right? You, you, if you don't get the oil changed in your car and you don't take care of this rattle or that rattle or this funny, this funny thing or that funny thing, pretty soon you're standing by the side of the road. If you're lucky, if you're not lucky, uh, the wheel comes off while you're flying down the highway. Right. And so this is, this is some serious stuff and it's important in, in making food. Um, just like it's important to do maintenance on your car or your house or, or for that matter, you know, go to the doctor and get get checkups and stuff like that. Right. This is, this is important stuff. It's not sexy, but it needs to be done. Um, and if you don't, uh, consequences. Right. You know, absolutely. And, and it's, Making food and doing it safely is a tough job, right? Like, there's so much yeah. stuff to like that, right? It's not. Yeah, like, it's it's a tough job, and there's I don't know if you know this, Ben. There's not a lot of money in it, right? The margins not. in the food, it's not like it's not like Apple selling laptops for thousands of dollars, right? With with nice healthy profit margins. I mean, this the margins in the food industry are small. The the work is steady because people need to eat. You know, if you don't have enough money for a new laptop, you might not get one till the next year. But come uh, a few hours from now, uh, or an hour or two from now, I'm going to need to have some lunch. And then after that, I'm going to need to have some dinner. And then after that, I'm going to need to have some breakfast. Repeat until the end of my life, right? Um, people need to eat, but but you you just you generally don't get rich in the food industry. And so there's a tremendous uh, temptation, I think, sometimes to cut corners. And but when you do, bad stuff happens. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And it's I I I had a conversation about ten years ago with my mom, who I you know I think I've shared on the on the podcast. My, so my mom, when I was growing up, she. Um, sold insurance for an insurance company to insurance brokers. And then um, we we moved outside of Toronto to a smaller town, and, and she became an educational assistant um, in, uh, in schools. Um, one of her passions through, I mean, her whole life was, was cooking. And when I went to, to university, she decided that um, since, you know, I don't know if she was just paying too much attention to me and I wasn't around now, she had all this free time. It definitely wasn't that um, the money got freed up or anything because I was still draining um, my parents' uh, money, monetary system um, when I was at uh, in university. But she she decided that she would um, she wanted to you know make a living at, at cooking and she went to culinary school to get a degree in um, you know in culinary arts and um, so she took a um, you know a, a two year program um, and and traveled to to this. Uh, um, city, you know, not too far from, from where my parents lived, uh, to become a, a chef essentially. And then she opened up a bed and breakfast, um, and, you know, and, and then, um, worked as, a um, you know, designed menus for a couple of small businesses in, in the town that we lived. And, and anyway, that, that's the, the sort of the history, the conversation that I re- explicitly remember having with my mom was when I was in graduate school and it might've been right around the same time I was finishing my master's and starting my PhD. And, uh, and I told her, you, you know, and, and this, I think hurt her, my mom, uh, you know, got kind of emotional in this conversation where I said, I would never go into the food industry. Like, like as a, a, a after studying this now for, you know, X number of years and, and seeing food safety stuff, it just, it's not something that, that I would be comfortable with 
as a career. And I could see now looking back on that comment, how that might've hurt her because that's what she was doing. Um, but, but I, you know, it was more about like, I just couldn't take the risk. Like so many things are out of my control, whether I'm running a restaurant or being a food processor or running a, you know, a business, like I am healthy. I, I, I have, I have to trust my suppliers or I have to trust my employees or I got to trust both of them. And the risk is higher than what I think the benefits are for the margins. And that was like literally the conversation that we had. My mom was like super pissed uh, about it, but it's because of this, like it's because of this, what we've just talked about here um, for the last 20 minutes or, or half an hour. It's like a lot of things can go wrong. It's out of my control. I don't think it's worth it. I'm just going to go make widgets or, right. or, graduate students or whatever it is that I, that I make here. Um, you know what I mean? Like it's just, it's, it is, it is not, it's not easy and, and it, and there's a lot of risk. Well, and, and you you are lucky in that your graduate students, um, uh, get to like do stuff that doesn't involve working with pathogens. And I, right. I every day I worry about, are my students being safe in the laboratory? And I kind of, I'm kind of sound like a squeaky wheel, you know, talking about food, food safety, talking or talking about microbial safety in the laboratory, because we, you know, not everybody. I mean, I really like the ones that are doing modeling research because that's on a computer. Right. So <laughs> so there's no chance of them giving themselves food poisoning. But about half of what we do um, is lab based. Right. And a lot a lot of that is just total plate count and stuff that's not super dangerous, although we could isolate pathogens. But sometimes the research that they do um, involves working with actual pathogens and and it and they could they could die. Right. Or they could be in the hospital. And we know people. Um, we know people who know people, or maybe even we know people who've gotten sick from laboratory accidents. And it is some serious, serious stuff. And people really need to be careful out there um, because, you know, these, these bacteria have been around a long time and they're really good at making us sick. Right, right. Exactly. Oh, it's tough. Maybe we're in the wrong line of business. Should we retire? Is this the last episode of Food Safety Talk? No. Well, what's what what's the number? We should we we if we're gonna retire, we should go out on a nice round even number, like, like 125. Yeah, we got so we got a few more because I think this is 123. Okay, Couple, right. at least well, so, another month. We'll see how. Yeah. We'll, well, I don't know. Look, one, well, see, 123 has kind of a nice like one two three. One two three. We're out. Yeah, one two. Bang. <laughs> uh, oh man, no. Let's keep. I, I'm okay. I'm in. Let's keep going. All right, all right. Um. Hey, so we we also got some. Um, some feedback from from another listener who asked us not to share the name, so yes. I want to um, I, I want to talk about this. Uh, so um, the listener says our state regulations don't allow yeah, our. This is a, it's a great this one. Is a, this is great. I'm so glad you remembered this. Yeah, yes. our state regulations don't allow our retail stores to vacuum pack any soft cheeses. They are allowed to vacuum pack some hard cheeses, but only if they put a use by date of 14 days or less. We claim the risk is CBOT, but if the vacuum packed foods products were kept refrigerated or frozen, I'm not clear why that would be a risk. I'd love it if you two would have a discussion on vacuum packaging and all the risks that were associated with it. Um, thanks so much for your time and, and for having a fantastic podcast for me to learn from. That was really nice. Uh, the, the last part. And the question is really nice as well. So, so Don, um, uh, ROP, you know, re reduce oxygen packaging, vacuum packaged cheeses, um, CBOT, yes or no? Question mark. <laughs> That's like I just texted. Uh, no, I, I no no CBOT. No I, I'm not in favor. 
I'm not in favor of CBOT. Um, yeah, so this is a really good question, and we we will link to um, uh, an, a fact sheet from um, I don't know if he's a friend of the pod, but friend of the podcast. Excuse me, excuse me. Um, geez, it's so easy to do. Um, <laughs> Friend of the podcast, uh, Brian Numer, but he is a friend of ours in, in real life. And Brian is a uh, food safety specialist at Utah, and he's done a lot of work um, on uh, investigating around this ROP. And so, um, so I, I think, and well, and, and let's. So we should give. So regulate being a regulator is hard, and setting regulatory policy is hard. And I can I can appreciate why the listener is frustrated. But I can also appreciate why their um, uh, the, their the policy in their state is what it is, um, because as I don't know Ben, if, I don't know if you know this, but but on a podcast um, that I'm on, we talk about it's it depends and it's complicated, right? <laughs> and 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 ROP foods it depends and it's complicated. So certainly, for a long time, whenever you said. ROP, reduced oxygen packaging, um, people would immediately think CBOT. And that's probably a good thing. But it's not just CBOT. I would say for, for these types of foods, it may also be listeria. Not that listeria is potentiated by the lack of oxygen, but it, it, it ends up being um, important as well. And so really what matters is time and temperature and pH and water activity. And one of the things about hard and, and and also cheeses are complicated foods they have very different well first of all soft cheese and hard cheese are different in terms of ph and water activity but even within the category of hard cheese cheddar is different than parmesan and it's not uh, so so it's it it turns out it it's complicated and so the answer would really depend upon the ph and the water activity and the time and the temperature. Now, if you wanted to try to simplify that and you wanted to just focus on time and temperature, what you could do is you could use a computer model. And there's a great uh, computer model, and we'll we'll link to we'll link to the publication of this. There's a model out there uh, called the the Skinner Larkin model. Um, and in the uh, in the Skinner Larkin model, basically, this is Guy Skinner and John Larkin uh, we know from these the guys. FDA. Yeah. We know these guys, right? Right, Guy Skinner and John Larkin from FDA, and they uh, basically Guy with 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 John's help, but Guy went out and surveyed the literature for growth of Clostridium botulinum, and then discovered essentially uh, a model that describes worst case um, times and temperatures for toxin production by Clostridium botulinum, and so. Not knowing anything about pH or water activity, you could you could make some worst case uh, predictions, and and then and then again uh, we mentioned Brian Numer. Uh, there was a a, a CFP um, a conference for food protection issue uh, or a committee that was charged to come up with an issue and, and or to respond to an issue, and so we have uh, the I was and I served on that committee and did a little bit of the, the modeling around that, and there's a beautiful. Uh, diagram that I created that is that I is not in um, Brian's um, fact sheet, but but again we'll still link to the fact sheet and we'll, and we'll link to Skinner Larkin. But um, so it turns out that it you yeah I mean you I think that what is going on in this person's state is probably overly conservative, which I understand from a policy point of view. But if they wanted to get into a little bit of it depends and it's complicated, there are certainly some some guidelines that could be followed. So I, I forget what the question was, but that's my, <laughs> that's my answer. I'm sticking to it. Yeah. I'm yeah. sticking to 
So, um, and I, I want to, I want to highlight something that, that you, you kind of went down a little bit of a path and Brian's got some, some great stuff on this is that while regulatory justification, um, might be, um, what might be, what may be heard is we do this for CBOT reasons that the regulatory justification is probably really there for Listeria monocytogenes reasons where you've got, right, so you, where, where you have maybe a difference between soft cheeses and hard cheeses on um, risk of listeria uh, being there and a 14-day code or date mark um, at below 41 degrees um, would, would say with a hard cheese is like, okay, well, um, it, it's not, uh, it, it's pretty unlikely to be there and we wouldn't worry about it as much as we would in soft cheeses. Although probably 14 days on soft cheese for listeria at that's held below 41 is probably okay as well. But uh, you know, I think it's not just a, a CBOT issue um, with that. Agreed. With that, with that as well. And, and I, you know, it, it is, um, I appreciate the, the question because this is a question that's coming from, um, you know, a regulator about give me, you know, are we being overly conservative here? But how do we, how do you translate this and, and give a justification to an industry member who just wants to vacuum seal some cheese, right? Like, like, like how do I, how do I explain to you that it's, it depends and it's complicated so I can sort of say, here are the things that you need to worry about and here are the things that regulatory wise we're worried about and why. Um, and that th- this conversation that we're having right now is not part of a certified food protection manager program, right? Like it's, it, it's, um, it, it's the second level conversation for someone who's interested in food safety and saying, what, where could I push dates? What is it? How is, what's the risk difference between, um, uh, my, the hard cheese that I want to vacuum seal and the brie that I want to, you know, that I want to ROP and hold under refrigeration. And if I do it, is there a difference between if I'm uh, with that soft cheese, if I have a continuous, you know, data logger, monitoring data logger on my walk-in cooler versus I'm just going to put it in a display case that, that may fluctuate on temperature. You know, like all those nuances um, exist here as well. And, and, and it's complicated and it depends. And I'm going to add a third one. I, to the to it's complicated and it depends it's and we should do a better job talking about it like with with those audiences not you and I I think we do a decent right. job <laughs> right yeah well right and and so and I did find uh, I did find this this beautiful uh, figure that I created it's in uh, some uh, CFP issue packets um, and we'll link to it as well as so we'll link to the the citation for Skinner Larkin but if in this particular uh, PDF uh, issue packet document it has the actual um, uh, article. Uh, I guess it's not it's not the actual article from JFP because that's probably copyright protected, but it looks like a anyway it's 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 got all the text of the article and it's got the the visualization of the original model, but um, but yeah it's it 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 is real and then the other thing which we haven't talked about which this figure reminds me of is that um, there is a current uh, time and temperature recommendation in the food code. There's also a different time and temperature recommendation for date marking. Right. Um, 
And one of the things that we like to have in regulations is we like to have consistency. So in other words, if we say that thus and such is true for this regulation, right, it should be true for other regulations as well. So for example, USDA FSIS Appendix B for Clostridium perfringens that we've talked about before, there's a similar requirement uh, in the FDA model food code, not identical, but similar. And again, it, it really comes down to what do you need to control Clostridium perfringens. And so and, and you know, and science is wonderful because it's it's messy, right? It's complicated. It depends. It's it's science is science is just messy. Policy and regulations can't be messy, right? There need to be very clear, unambiguous lines. Yes or no? Because otherwise, right? Yeah. Because the, the, otherwise, the solution is well, we're going to train a whole bunch of PhDs, and they're going to go out and inspect restaurants, and they're going to write a thesis every time they have to do an inspection, right? I mean, it it could literally get that, it could, which is which is crazy, right? It, yeah. It, it does, so, but but that's the but that's the 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 nuances of the complexity of of the world, and so, and what this is why I find policy so fascinating is that you can um, you need to understand the science. You need to understand the policy, and then you need to try to figure out, okay, how can I do science um, uh, that supports the policy or that shows if the policy is erroneous to show that, and then to try to, in a way that doesn't just make things really messy and complicated, change the policy in a way that that makes, hopefully, for better policy that's more, and, you know, you like to, we people love to talk about science-based policy. Well, you know, there's no, there's no amount of science that's going to tell you what the policy is. It's just going to either tell you it's a good policy or a bad policy and maybe to what degree, but you want to try to always be making better policy that's, that's more uh, supported by, by the science. But ultimately, it's, it's going to, it's got to be a risk management decision. It's got to be a judgment call on the part of a policymaker because again, no amount of science is going to tell you exactly what to do, um, uh, without doing an experiment each time you want to do something. Right. 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 And, and we have to set some thresholds so we can start the conversation and that someone can actually go out there and conduct a, um, a, a compliance test. Right. Like, so yeah, it's um, that like that all being said, what what I have grown to love and thanks to you getting me involved with CFP is that the thresholds and the yes or no answers that exist today may not exist tomorrow. Right. Like that we have a process on how to change this. And as new information comes up or as we dig further into old information with a, a newer question. Um, that there's a way to change this and a way to um, to essentially present to to FDA and say, look, this is this is what the industry and regulators and academias are kind of agreeing on here. So maybe we should we should adjust what we've got, and that that actually works. Like that that it not a hundred percent of the time, but we've got lots of examples of of Brian, for instance, and you, um, you know, demonstrating changes that should be. Um, uh, implemented in, in, in policy to clean it up a little bit. And that's a, that's a good thing. Yeah. And, and one more thing. So I just was looking at this, the, the feed listener feedback. And one of the things, um, uh, that the listener asks about is, uh, the difference between refrigerated or frozen. And I re still re vividly remember discussions in CFP around, ROP frozen foods. And it's like, there's no risk. It's frozen. It's hard frozen. And then people were saying, well, what about, okay, but what if you thaw it? Right. And what about the like, freezing well, okay. process? What about well, when it's, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So once it's frozen, it's fine. But yeah, sure. Someone could have 
ROP'd that, and a lot of times it's fish, right? Yep. So someone could have ROP'd that fish, and it could have botched a line of spores, and it could have been frozen too slowly, and it could be thawed abusively. And yeah, I could imagine some scenarios where maybe somebody would get botulism from that, but but you know, the frozen fish, once it's frozen, it, there is no, there's no food safety risk there. Right. But, but obviously uh, you add this dimension of ROP and for, for better or worse, I think, I don't know if it's, I don't know, overall net net, uh, regulators are really terrified. And I, I wonder what the history is in it, but regulators are really terrified about ROP foods. Probably more so than they ought to be. Yeah, no, I think I I agree. It's, um, yes, and it, it and, and I think so. I I think it's because you have this spore, anaerobe, vegetative cell toxin formation. There's a lot of stuff going on that's different from the others that that have all these different parameters, right? Like that. that it's like, well, what about this? What about this? Where where the other pathogens or a lot of the other pathogens it's like, well, is it there? Is it not there? And infection is, is, you know, um, a little, uh, a little simpler than, than intoxication and toxin formation. And, um, so no, I, I agree. I think people are, are really, um, n- less comfortable with it. I was at, before we leave the ROP discussion, I was mm. at a meeting, um, uh, gosh, it's five, six years ago, maybe even longer now, um, as part of the Partnership for Food Safety Education group. And and they were reevaluating their messages and brought together some folks to in, in D.C. to just talk about, you know, what they should look at and, and what and priority setting. And um, I remember there was someone there, and I can't remember, I think it was Alan Levy, and, but, but totally don't quote me, and if Alan's listening to this or if someone who knows him, don't. Like, it might not have been him. But let's say it was him uh, for easiness uh, here. I think he said something like when he was with FDA and people came out with home um, uh, vacuum sealers, there was just this assumption that, you know, 80% of people that use them will die from botulism, right? Like that that consumers just wouldn't use them correctly, that we'd have all this ROP'd food, and we know that – um, c- consumer fridges aren't, um, you know, typically set below 41 degrees and cause there's some really good work that came out about 10 years ago that, um, Sherry Cates and, uh, Kathy Costa did from RTI as part of a I think it was an FDA grant. Um, and, and basically like, this is the end of, of days when it comes to consumers. And I'm obviously overstating this and, <laughs> and right. But, but no, not one, like not one. And this is his point was not one illness have we seen from, home vacuum sealed products that we know of. Right. Right. Like, like that, that we thought this was really going to be the, uh, a, a turning point and it just hasn't, hasn't been there. Um, and so, so, but I think that like, there's, there, it, there's part of it. It's like, we have this technology that's, that's still relatively new that people aren't comfortable with all these different parameters. And so it's like, Whoa, let's put up a bunch of roadblocks cause it's hard. And we don't know a lot right, about it. Right, right, and th- and that's a, and that's a typical regulatory response. Yeah, which is which is okay. Be cautious, and then let the academic folks uh, come in and and look at the data. I'm I'm good with that, and then let's have a process to change it. I mean, right, uh, yeah. right. Well, that's and that's what I think we sometimes forget is like, well, it's not you just it, the, the answer is not just to say, well, 
it's complicated. Um, so we're just going to be like really, really uh, strict and okay, problem solved. Let's move on. No, 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 no. We need to come back and we need to revisit this depending on, you know, and again, if it's a true innovation or, or you know, depending on the situation, right? I mean, you, you want, you, you'd like to think that over time you get better and better policy. Right, right. Um, so anyway, there you go. I think that's a show. Don? I think so. I think you're right. I think that's uh, that's that's a good good way to end this. Well, um, hey, food safety talk. What do we decide this was? One twenty three. Sure. Yeah. One twenty three. One twenty four. Whatever. Whatever it, it takes. takes. One two. One two three. Test test test. One two three. Is this on? Testing. Get that. Uh, all right. Um, hey, Don. Great to talk with you. Um, and uh, we'll we'll catch up again in a couple of weeks. Sounds good. Bye bye. Bye. I had a hard out at one and I totally didn't even notice what time it was until oh dear. right then. Um, but we're good. We, okay. It's only 12.52. Hey, that was that was good. That was some good stuff today. Yep. Uh, so this one is mine. To, yeah, and you don't have to be somewhere. No, I just have to go to the next building. Oh, oh, you do have to be somewhere. Okay. Yeah, but, but it's very close. Okay. Um, uh... So, um, what do you, what do you got in a couple of weeks? Uh, so, uh, two weeks from today, I am, uh, let's see, I could do, oh no, no. Um, ugh. Oh. I have such a, it's just, I have too many colors on my calendar, Ben. Um, <laughs> two weeks from today. I could do two weeks from today. I could do actually yeah. that whole week is good. So let's let's move. Well, so yeah. So so problem is two weeks from today, um, I'm busy like all day with not okay. enough free time to to do anything. Um, and then um, the following day, I'm going. Actually, this is very interesting. I'm going up to um, uh, visit um, Amazon Fresh uh, distribution facility in Avenel, New Jersey. Uh, which which should be really fun, but but keeps me busy. Um, Wednesday, well, you know what? I could do. All right, let's. I could do Wednesday. Um, yeah, I could do Wednesday at about eleven o'clock, and then I've got to drive to State College. Okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. Wednesday, what's that? Eleven o'clock.
And I could do a little earlier. It's just I've got physical therapy at nine. So. Could we do it a little? So could we do it a little later, like eleven twenty or eleven thirty? Will that make, um, will that be a problem? Well, the the problem is it takes a long time to drive to state college, yeah. and I would rather leave sooner rather than later. But the problem is if we don't do it then, Ben, I don't know when we're going to okay. do it. So. Let's do it eleven. I have okay. a, I have a call, but I can likely move it. It's just like a internal project call. Okay. Um, okay, let's do that. So that is uh, to confirm April 19th, a Wednesday. Yes. Uh, little known fact. That's my birthday. Special. Oh, a very happy special, birthday, Ben. Thank you. Thank you. Very special. Well, you can wish me a happy birthday next time we talk. A very special food safety talk. <sighs> Indeed. Uh, 124, uh, 11 a.m. There you go. All right, scheduled. That's a that's a go. That's a go, my friend. All right, boom. Uh, boom, boom, boom. Cool. Okay, so I've got this. I'm going to try to edit the audio um, uh, before I get on a plane. Okay. So if you could throw your show notes in, that would be a super big help. Do that right now. Cool. Cool. And then I'm going to do I'm going to start the audio exporting right now. Sounds good. Cool. Thanks, Don. Okay. Talk to you soon. All right, bye. bye.